this week, I'm continuing kind of in the same thread that I've been in the last several weeks, talking about core values that we'll have in the church. Core beliefs of where we're at and kind of how it ties into our living. And so if I had a title today, it would be God's plan for how to live. And it was an interesting um, how I just brought it all together as I, was, uh, as I was just studying and just asking God what he wanted to do. And he brought up the Ten Commandments to me. And, and I thought about the Ten Commandments and how it relates to us today and how it related to them. But then I started thinking about the whole story. So we talked about Joseph a few weeks ago. We talked about how he was able to go and, you know, God spoke to him and the whole bringing him out and into slavery and to everything. But as he was in Egypt and the salvation for the whole country and all the surrounding countries and his brothers came and that whole story, his whole family ended up moving to Egypt. And then all the Israelis started populating Egypt and it became so big so massive that that's where their whole homestead was. That's where everything was. And they were there for hundreds of years. So Joseph died, and then his kids died, and they were there for hundreds of years, and the shift started happening. And we see in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Verse The next verse said, he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight us and then they will escape from the country. Verse 11, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. So here they come from being in a place of blessing that their forefathers Joseph was the key to salvation for the entire country. And now here they find themselves as slaves. Oftentimes I think that we can start off in a place that's really good. And at the end we find ourselves enslaved. But now their population has grown and grown and grown. So much that it was a concern to the new king. But... God didn't want them just staying in Egypt. His plan was to get them back into Israel. His plan was to get them to where he wanted them. So God starts working this plan. And you've probably seen the, the, the series on Egypt with um, Charlton Heston where he's Moses and he stands out there with the big you know, rod and you see the, the Red Sea open up. And here they, they leave Egypt and God does the whole miracle with the, the ten plagues and all these crazy things that goes on. And you probably know the story. That's not the purpose of this morning. But all of those things, they get out into the wilderness. And it said there was 603,550 men plus women and children. So approximately 2 million people, most people estimate, are out walking around in the wilderness. Now here they've been in in captivity. They've been slaves. So they had someone beating their back, making them work and doing all these things. They didn't have any boundaries. Now all of a sudden they have no boundaries. They're all out there and they're just running around. They don't know what to do. 
And all these quarrels and all these things are starting to go on. So God calls Moses up the mountain. He goes, hey, Moses, I'm going to give you some guidelines for how I want my people to live. So I've got two million people, approximately, who did not know anything about God. They didn't know God's plan for their life. They'd heard the stories about their great-great-great-grandfather Joseph and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And some of the history, the, the, what they knew of their family history had kind of fallen through them. But they didn't have a personal relationship with God themselves. They didn't understand who God was to them. So here God shows up and he delivers them in an amazing way. He did it in such a spectacular way that there's no way they could just think that it's just Moses is the great negotiator. He wrote a book called The Art of the Deal. And, you know, he he didn't do any of these things. God did this in an amazing way. But now they need basic rules on how to live with each other now that they're no longer slaves. So God gave them the Ten Commandments, and we're just going to hit them really, really quickly. But they're pretty simple. First thing is, don't have any other gods before me. I don't want you to have any idols. I don't want you to misuse the Lord's name. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. And I'm convinced my mother wrote that for the longest time. But it turns out it's actually in the Bible. Honor your father and your mother. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal don't give false witness against your neighbor and don't covet or be envious of your neighbor's goods, your house, his house, his wife, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm God and I've got two million people out there with no boundaries and no, you know, no longer trying to, trying to figure out how they're going to live and function as a nation that have now found freedom on themselves... I don't necessarily think this is going to be my 10 that I'm going to give. I'm definitely going to have don't murder people and don't commit adultery and don't steal. I mean, those, yeah, I get those. But isn't it interesting the 10 that God gave? This is what he's saying. So we pick up in Exodus 20. We're going to read through the whole thing of how it all unfolded. Verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. So this is God's word coming down to them. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. And I love that God just kind of like lays out the, the place setting for them and says, hey, listen, I am the Lord your God. I know you don't know me. I know that you are really kind of foreign and you're not really sure who I am and you're used to Egypt. You're used to the gods of Egypt. You're used to all this stuff. So when Moses comes on the scene and says, hey, God has sent me to be a deliverer to you, they were not really sure about this whole situation. He goes, hey, I'm the guy who rescued you physically from the land of Egypt, the place where you were a slave. So he's pointing to that physical deliverance getting them from Egypt now to where they find themselves. But now he's going to point to there's still slavery that's inside of them. It's been well said that God was able to take them out of Egypt, but then the process began to take Egypt out of them. They still had the same mindsets. God says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you. No one else is, 
Moses isn't. Moses isn't the one to do this. I am the Lord your God who rescued you. Verse 3. You must not have any other gods before me. You must not. I'm the only one. Verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind of any man, image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. And, and, and if I'm honest with you, we've kind of messed this one up ourselves. But God's like, hey, all of those images and all those idols that you had that you worshipped that you thought was God and that's what the Egyptians have done, you know, none of that. I, I actually heard Mrs. Lindsay's daughter, Shira, spoke on this some 30 years ago and it still resonates with me. She goes, we've really walked away from this commandment. She goes, many of us have a picture of Jesus up on our wall. We don't know what Jesus looked like. She goes, we actually have an image of what we think Jesus is and that's our focal point that we worship. She goes, but it says don't have any image. God doesn't want us limited down to what we think he is Because we can confine him. He's so much bigger than all of that. Just as for thought. Verse 5. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. Their entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Verse 6. And I love this. But I lavish unfailing love. I love the words how he just lays that all out. The wordsmithing of that. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey me. But you see again, the promises of God, the unfailing love, the lavishing of all of this is conditional for those who love him and obey his commands. Verse 7, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, we think that it should be lightning bolts as soon as somebody says, you know, GD or some kind of thing that's going on there. And God's like, no, I'm not in the business of throwing lightning bolts. But rest assured, you will be punished. It will not go unpunished if you misuse. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. This is in the top ten. Of what he's saying to do and not do. Verse 8, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week of your ordinary week, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household must do any work. This includes you. I'm sure this was written for me alone. This includes you. (laughs) I love that. Your sons. Your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. So he's making sure that you don't have any wiggle room on this at all. He goes, hey, I'm serious about this. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And set it apart as holy is literally the same word. Set apart means holy. Holy means set apart. And the kind of the, the thought in this, if you will, is when we have Thanksgiving dinner this week, we'll have the big, huge spread, but there's going to be invariably somebody who's not able to be there 
And you take a plate and you set it apart and you go, hey, I'm going to keep this over here just to make sure there's something. It's set apart. It's kept separate from everything else. He's like, hey, I want you to keep my name. I want you to keep my day of rest separate. Carve out something and leave it over here. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 13, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, or ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And here we find the Ten Commandments, the actual layout of how it all is in the actual scriptures. But Jesus comes on the scene now, fast forward a few thousand years, and he's now trying to let people understand the heart of God and not just the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments were established here, but then through the thousands of years, all the rabbis and all the teachers and everybody, they've added their, what we would call case law, their interpretations of it. And there's volumes that would fill this room of all of their interpretations of it. So now, instead of trying to fulfill ten, they're trying to fulfill just this unmeasurable laws. And all the prophets and what they're saying and, and everything. And it's just this, this, who can do this? And Jesus comes on the scene. And he starts telling about the heart of God and the heart of God for love. And it's coming in direct conflict with the other things that they know and their traditions and, and all of these things. So in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, Jesus had just silenced them on an issue and they're trying to put him to the test and they're trying to catch him in a, in a way that they can really discredit him. And he just laid waste to them. Verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. So here, he, he's not able... To be caught up by all of them coming at him and barraging him. So they get the best guy. They get an expert in the religious laws. And, and I'm sure it's like this really old Jewish man. He's got the, you know, the little beanie on. And I'm sure he's got a little cane. He's walking in there and he's like the guy. He's the top lawyer. He's the one that he, nobody's going to do this. And here he's trying to trap Jesus with a question. And what he's trying to do as the top guy, he's trying to get Jesus in a debate. And he asks him this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Well, we just saw the ten, right? We just saw all ten of them. We just went through all of that. So he's saying, which one is the most important? And he's prepared now intellectually to come and have a debate with Jesus. He's wanting to have this back and forth, and he's the smartest guy. He's the best thing they've got. And he's going to come back, and no matter which one Jesus says, he's got something else. And he's probably studied, and he's had all these what-if scenarios going on here. Well, if he says this one, I'm going to say, well, what about this one? And what about, well, don't you think murder is more important than that? I mean, he's got it all worked out, and Jesus messes up everything. Verse 37, Jesus replied, 
you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Can I draw your attention to something? That wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus replied, what's the most important commandment? To love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the first and greatest commandment, and second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Also, not in the Ten Commandments. Then he says something amazing. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. So Jesus is saying the entire law, the Ten Commandments, all the books that were added on it, and then everything that they've got, the volumes of what they've got, it's all based on these two. How in the world is that possible? God, the Father, gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and Jesus didn't even pick one of those two when he's asked what's the greatest. And as I studied this out, I want to suggest to you that it all is intertwined. I put a chart together for you. And if I love God, look at this. I'm not going to have any other gods before me. But you see, this love God isn't a checkbox that I can say, I love God. Okay, yeah, I've done that. This is talking about a personal relationship with God. This is talking about knowing God. And, and the way I can relate to this, this is when I love my wife. I love this woman with all that is within me. Not because it's a checkbox that say, okay, I woke up this morning, honey, I love you. And those words have nothing. But there's this relationship that goes back and forth between she and I that I love her so much that there's not going to be other women before her. I don't care how many women I'm around. The only one I'm thinking about is her. If I love God with this personal relationship that's so amazing, it doesn't matter what other gods that there are around me, there's going to be no other gods but him. The same thing. I'm not going to have any idols. I'm not going to prop up anything else to worship because I've got the real thing going on here. I love my God so much. What I have is so amazing. I'm certainly not going to misuse his name. And I'm going to remember and keep the Sabbath holy. And I'm going to honor my mother and my father because I'm going to follow into authority because I love God. But then the second step, if I love my neighbor as myself, if I take this relationship of loving God, then I realize that he loves everyone else. Jesus came, and here he is, the son of God. And as he's going and interacting with everybody, what's the one thing you can describe him as? Horizontally, with everyone, he loves them. He's like, Jesus, don't you know who she is? If you were really a prophet, you'd discern who she is, and uh, you don't want to be around her. If you knew who he was, he's the chief tax collector. He's a notorious sinner. Jesus, you shouldn't be around all these people. And he's like, I love these people. See, his love transcends 
everything else. That love, if I've got that kind of love, I'm not going to murder anybody. If I've got that kind of love, I'm not going to commit adultery. That kind of love isn't going to allow me to steal from someone. I'm not going to give a false witness to somebody. I love that intentionally, that furiously. And I'm not going to be envious of their stuff, their wife, or anything else. See, Jesus boils down the Ten Commandments into two. The fulfillment of all of the commandments, of all the prophets even, into two. He says they're all grounded in these two. But can I point out to you, loving God is up and down. And it's the first and foremost. If I don't know God, I can't go horizontal. Because without knowing him, I don't have any love to give other than what I have in myself. And that's not enough. But when I have this personal relationship with him, it changes how I think. It changes how I feel, how I process everything like we talked about last week. And then it changes how I love. It changes how I deal with those people. When I see them coming, you go, oh, I know that person. They're just going to want to, and you fill in the blank. Negative Nancy's coming around the corner. We know she's just going to just dump on me all this, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, here comes the one that's always got a problem, always got the, oh. This one's always got, all of those things. I had somebody in my car recently and as I was driving I realized just some of the sin that was going on in their life the kind of thing if I told you everyone in here would agree with me is pretty bad and as quickly as I had the realization of their sin I can't explain it, but I felt God's love for that person. God just peeked the curtain back a little bit to show me. I almost started crying driving. See, because I'm real easy to look at their sin. And you would agree with me. Jesus doesn't look at the sin. He looks beyond the sin to the person. While we were yet sinners, God loved us and sent His Son so we could know Him. Would you bow your heads with me? You see, the Ten Commandments are still for today. Jesus fulfilled all the law. He fulfilled all of the requirements that God had. But he says they boil down to this, love God, love your neighbor. But just like the Israelites needed the Ten Commandments to give them guidance, that guidance was to help them find freedom. They had physical freedom because they weren't physically in Egypt anymore. But now they're in the wilderness and they still have mental bondage 
the first step for me finding freedom is to know God. I never ever want to have a service that I don't give everyone the opportunity to know God. So certainly as I'm doing this message where we're talking about the whole foundation of the Ten Commandments and the words that Jesus said, it all surrounds and starts with knowing God. I don't know where you're at this morning. If you're driving down the road, you're sitting in this room, you're watching online. My greatest desire is that you would know him like I know him. My pastor in Florida says this this thing that just seems so appropriate right now. He says, if I could take Jesus out of my heart and put him in your heart for just a second, and you experienced what I experienced, you'd never want him to leave. I'm going to tell you that's the truth. So this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to know God. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for a second or hundredth time. Or you're like me that I ask God into my heart every week with Rex Humbard for years when I was a little boy. I'm just going to help you with the words. So if that's you this morning you to say this prayer with me. Say, God in heaven, thank you for sending your son to die in my place, to pay for my sins so I don't have to. I want to know you. I want to start the journey. I want to get back on the journey. I ask you to forgive me for living my life without you, for trying to do it on my own. I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I surrender everything. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. To be number one. And the best way I know how, I'm going to develop this relationship with you. I'm going to put you first. I want to know you. And then I want to have your love for those around me. Best way I know how, I'm going to serve you. Today I give you my life. Father, I pray for everyone who's prayed that prayer with me this morning. And Lord, I pray for all the rest of us as we look at our lives as we examine where we're at with the Ten Commandments and where we're at with the Two Commandments. I want to love you more and I want to love your people more. God, I pray even as you convicted me in the past weeks about the person who sinned, I was so easy to recognize and pointing out in my mind's eye. 
Thank you for revealing your heart for that person. Lord, let me have a characteristic of you. That I look past their sin. Not excusing it. But look past their sin while they're still sinning. That I'm able to love the person. Lord, I pray that you use me as a as an instrument of kindness and love to draw people to you. I pray that all of us this week will have people in our lives that we're able to reach out and transcend the sin and focus on the person and love that person. As we enter into a season of giving God, the greatest gift is for someone to come to know you. Let me be an instrument of that, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.